Let's, let's pray and let's jump into God's Word and uh, enjoy Him together. Heavenly Father, You are good all the time. We studied Your goodness last summer for a whole summer, and You are good upon good upon good all the time. Even though we don't seem to see it at times, Your goodness is, is outrageous. And so, Lord, we want to come here to celebrate. We've taken time out of our day that you've actually asked to, asked us to, to come and worship you. So we're going to worship you through listening to God's word. We're going to worship you soon in song. We're going to worship you around the communion table as we stop and reflect on what your son has done. We're going to worship you in the prayer corner as we give our burdens to you. So God, thank you for this moment of worship. Come and fill this place with your presence, your power. Let us hear from you in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Amen. We're almost at the end of this series. And uh, as you know, at Church on the Rock, we do about four to, four to six week series on different topics. And this isn't so much a topic as just taking a section of scripture and working through it. It's a little different for us. But at the end of the day, I want two things to happen. I want us to love Jesus more because we're looking at the first four chapters of the book of John. I just want us to love Jesus more, to go back and say, wow, that was deep. That was, that was awesome. And at the same time, I want this to be an introduction for you all to get into God's word yourself, to be able to say, you know what? I've fallen off the wagon. I haven't actually been reading the Bible myself. I'm going to just open up John because Dave's given us a little introduction. I've given you some like pre-chewed insights, right? You can get in there and, and, and start to get some of your own and then work the, your way the rest of the way through the book of John. So I want you to love the Bible, love the Bible. Here, you already know now uh, so much more about the book of John than, than when we start chapter 1. Chapter 1 is Jesus is God. Chapter 1, Jesus is God. Now you know that. When if you ever want to know where to find that, chapter 1 of John is Jesus is God. Chapter 2, water into wine. That's the big story. And this week, we are going to be hitting the context, which is so many layers of depth around this, this most famous verse in the entire Bible. If, if anybody had to say, what is the most favorite verse in the entire Bible, this is what we're going to hit today. We're going to try and dig down and understand the various levels of it, levels of it. So, <clears throat> we end up with chapter 2, chapter 2, and uh, the book of John, and it finishes up with Jesus. He said he, they just did a ton of miracles, that's Dave's translation, and a bunch of people were believing in him, and so it seemed like the water into wine just opened up a floodgate of different miracles that Jesus did, and it finishes up with this interesting statement at John chapter 2. The very last little bit of this chapter says this, uh, John uh, 2, 23 to 25. Because of the miraculous signs Jesus did in Jerusalem at the Passover ce celebration, we believe this is the first Passover that he was there and he did uh, miracles, many began to trust in him. And we always say at Church on the Rock, what is faith? You know, I have faith. Do I have faith? I tell you, we're coming. Faith is actually trusting him. I'm going to trust him with my life. I'm going to trust him with my future. I've already been able to pray with a couple people about trusting God for your future, for future jobs, for a way that God will provide for us. So we trust in God. That's, that's what faith is. And so it's great. Yes, they began to trust in him. And you'd think Jesus would be, yeah, look at all the people. Look at all the people. But look what it says. But Jesus didn't trust them. <laughs> but come on, Jesus is loving him, and he trusts everybody, but apparently not. 
Jesus didn't trust them because he knew all about people. No, no one needed to tell him about human nature. He was there at the fall, okay? He got the idea, right? He's seen this for a long time. For he knew what was in each person's heart, which is a kind of interesting introduction because now he's going to talk one-on-one with somebody. So he already knows what's in this person's heart. This is almost like an introduction to his next chapter. And so what happens? Why, why doesn't he trust people? Because people change their mind all the time. Okay, it's like that, that uh, the uh, parable of the seeds. You know, some fall up and spring up going, Woo, this is the best thing ever. And then they go, yeah, I, I don't like it anymore. So he realizes that some people just had, you know, start off <laughs> hot and we're, we're, we're going into this. But then you look back and you go, where are they? Not only this. This kind of trust in Jesus was almost like a proto-faith. It was almost like a pre-evangelism. It was something that, that he was just sort of stirring the ground in order for real faith to take hold later. As one commentator said this, all faith is immature until after the cross, resurrection, and ascension, and the coming of the Spirit. It's like it's, you don't really know what you have faith in, but you know that you like Jesus and you have faith in him. And I know a lot of people have that kind of faith. You like Jesus. But until you understand and give your life to what he's done on the cross, it's just sort of a, a, a beginning of a faith. Some of these same people, some of these same people would turn their back and cry, crucify him. So the next picture, the next portrait we have of Jesus, we start with a few disciples and a young couple that got married. Now a Pharisee called Nicodemus. A Pharisee called Nicodemus. Let's talk a little bit about this guy. Who is Nicodemus? We find out a lot about him in just one short sentence. We find out, first of all, he's wealthy. He's wealthy. At the end of his life, uh, he actually became a believer and and became public and buried uh, Jesus. And and he put out 100 pounds of myrrh and aloe to be able to, to wrap his body in. So, you know, some people, you know, wonder, you know, Jesus, you know, he, he didn't quite die in the tomb and he felt better. No, he was wrapped in a hundred pounds of gummy material and, and cloth. And, and he rose from the dead, not only outside the grave, but outside of all that. But that means that Nicodemus was, was wealthy. Next, he was just saturated in biblical knowledge, saturated in biblical knowledge. The Pharisees, there's only a fixed number of them allowed. They were called the Brotherhood. They pledged in front of three witnesses, like a marriage, they pledged that they would keep every one of the laws of the Old Testament. They, that was their, their total commitment. I, I'm going to take, uh, I'm going to commit to all these laws. They memorized the entire Torah, 100% of the first five books of the Bible memorized. You think Bible memory is hard now? Oh my goodness. Well, I, I guess they didn't have TikTok or, or Instagram. But still, it was like, it's hard. They memorized the first five books of the Bible. On top of that, there were like traditions. And Jesus just railed against the tradition. Uh, the tradition, one tradition was, uh, was called the Mishnah. And, and it has commentary on the law. And for instance, just around the Sabbath, just around the Sabbath, the Mishnah has 24 chapters on what to do on the Sabbath. Now, if that wasn't enough, there's a book called the Talmud, the Babylonian Talmud. The Babylonian Talmud makes comment on the Mishnah. And uh, they have 156 double-sided pages about the Sabbath. This is just about the Sabbath. So you can see how Jesus could tick people off, right? Where he goes, and he's not washing, he's not doing the right things. Here's here's, uh, some of the things in the Sabbath. 
Can a knot be tied? Because you're not supposed to work on Sabbath. Can a knot be tied on the Sabbath? Well, sailors and camel drivers can't. But women's girdles you are allowed to. For some reason, that was really important to these guys. Okay, well, they got to be like hitched up there. <laughs> That's important. <laughs> you can tie a knot with one hand. Try and do that. <laughs> that takes more work, I think, than doing two hands. This was like the minutia of the law was life and death to the Pharisees. You can't carry a burden on the, on, on the Sabbath day. And so, okay, so they, they had huge arguments whether your dentures would be a burden. Because that's something outside. Are you carrying that? Are you allowed to carry the denture? Or get this, an artificial leg. So I didn't know they had artificial legs back then. But, they, okay, that was not allowed. So you have to hobble around, I guess. Because, so this was the la- layer of, so this is what Nicodemus was embroiled in. And you're not allowed to be a Pharisee unless you're at least 40 years old. So he is now not only that, he's a member of the Supreme Court, the Sanhedrin. Only 70 of these Pharisees are on this. Uh, there, there's there's uh, scribes also a, a part of that. But the, the deal is, <laughs> uh, he is not only, he is highly intelligent, probably in his 50s. Imagine this. The guy just soaked through with biblical knowledge, doing it all, 50 years old. He's going to talk to a 30-year-old son of a carpenter. That's humbling, right? And so he comes at night. Try to figure it out. We find out the Pharisees had sent their servants off to talk to John. And, and they went and reported back. But he doesn't do that. He actually comes himself. This is personal for this man who is soaked in the scriptures. And so, John chapter 3, verse 2. Rabbi. He calls him, he calls Jesus rabbi. Which is massive in itself because he wouldn't be allowed to be called a rabbi unless he was a disciple of a disciple of a disciple. So he honors Jesus already. Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher who comes from God. How come? For no one can perform the signs you're doing if God were not with him. And so, Jesus, almost like he rolls up his sleeves, okay, let's get into this. Let's talk Old Testament. And now Jesus digs in. If you've read the Gospels before, you know when Jesus was 12, he goes and hangs out at the temple and confounds the minds of, of, the, uh, of the Pharisees and, and the Sadducees. Though the, this is, this is what he does, and he's doing this now. He's just pulling out the big guns of biblical interpretation here. So here he goes. Okay. So Jesus replied, very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they're born again. <laughs> he's he's going to bring out the kingdom of God subject and the whole idea of being born again. And uh, Nicodemus, it's almost his, huh? Huh? What are you talking about? See, the Jewish people were waiting for the kingdom of God. They're talking about the kingdom. The kingdom of God to them was their nation being reborn. It was like King David and Solomon again. So you, you can't get this kingdom of God. And so all of a sudden Nicodemus is thinking of this whole new nation. And, and everything's going like to kick into high gear. You're not going to be able to see the kingdom of God unless you're born again. Born again? It, <laughs> it's awesome. You know, this born again theme is in the Old Testament. It's in the Old Testament. In fact, it's in the book of Ezekiel, and you know the story. Like, you know Ezekiel. Isn't that wild? I think most people know this story in Ezekiel. Ezekiel was a prophet already at the, he's in Babylon. They've already been taken away 
out, uh, out of, their, uh, of the country. They've been <coughs> sort of like uh, uh, they're on a timeout, 70-year timeout, 70 timeout with God. And so this is what Ezekiel says in uh, 37, uh, verses uh, 4 to 5. Then he said to me, that's God saying to Ezekiel, prophesy to these bones. Yeah. Those bones, those bones, dry bones. Okay, this is this. That's where the song comes from. Okay, prophesy to these bones, say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you, and you will come to life. You will be born again. So this whole series, Jesus is saying, okay, remember that? The whole nation is dead. It's spiritually dead. And Ezekiel says, sometime in the future, I'm going to speak, I'm going to get you to speak into a dead nation. And they're going to come alive. They're going to be born again. The kingdom is going to come again. And it's going to be spoken through being born again. And, and, and you can almost see Jesus going, yeah, come on, let's talk Ezekiel. And uh, this teacher of the law that has the Torah memorized is going, huh? I don't get it. <laughs> and, and so as it, he doubles down on John, John 3, 5 to 6. And Jesus answered, truly I said to you, you can't enter the kingdom of God. So it's not just seeing the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is, is, is not about Israel. It's not about a nation. It's not about social policy. It's not about government. It's not about companies. The kingdom of God is about entering into a relationship with the king. That's what the kingdom of God is. So many, so many, so many teachers are teaching that wrong. It, I, I very truly, I tell you, you cannot enter the kingdom of God unless you're born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, and the spirit gives birth to spirit. In fact, this God's kingdom is this invisible kingdom. We're going to find out how invisible it is just in the, in the next verse. But in John 18:36, Jesus clearly says, the kingdom of God is not of this world. And yet, how many pastors I hear about trying to bring the kingdom of God to this world, okay? It's not of this world, all right? It is something that happens in our souls as we become, uh, allow Jesus to be our king. So, here we go. The kingdom comes when Jesus becomes king in somebody's life. It's not building this thing on earth. And then he says this thing about water and spirit. Now, it's interesting. Some people say the whole idea about you need to be born of water and of spirit. They say, well, that's being baptized and being, you know, having the Holy Spirit, baptized in the Holy Spirit. And other people say, well, well, no, because all through the other parts of the Bible, baptism is any, nothing that saves you. In fact, Paul says, I'm really glad I didn't baptize you. I'm here to preach the gospel, not to baptize people. So, so baptism doesn't actually save you. So, so what, what, what's Jesus saying? You need to be born of water and the Spirit. And then he qualifies it by saying flesh gives birth to flesh and spirit gives birth to spirit. Some believe, on, and I'm sort of more on, on that side of things, that, uh, that they're just a lot more earthy people back then. And when someone was born of flesh, you were just born, there, there was just a lot of water involved in that. Like, the, the, you know, water burst, right? And that just happened. And so it's a flesh that you have to be born, a fleshly thing. You have to be born, and then you have to be born again. You have to be born again of the Holy Spirit. And so, again, Nicodemus is scratching his head. In John 3, 7, Jesus says, You should not be surprised at my saying you must be born again. Don't you remember the Old Testament? Nicodemus never probably thought in his whole entire life that an individual 
needed to come into a relationship with Jesus. He was just thinking nations, not something an individual must do. And so, and so you need to be born again. I remember somebody asking, are you one of those born-again Christians? <laughs> you know, one of those born-again Christians as if that's like a very pejorative bad thing, right? I'm going, yeah, yeah, I, I, I am. It's kind of because Jesus came up with it, and the rest of the Bible talks about it. So, yeah, I guess I am kind of one of those. And it's all through the Bible. It's all through the New Testament. I can list all the verses, but I, I, I won't give you all, all the references. But, for instance, 1 Peter 1.3, Praise be to God, the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, in his great mercy. He has given us new birth into a living hope, that living anticipation through the, res- the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Now, he is t- Jesus is telling Nicodemus that a good person, a really good person, a Pharisee, Somebody that is amazing needs to be born again. You need to do this. You are really good in your religion. You're fantastic in your religion. You're at the top of your religion. Not only are you top of your religion, you have a heart that wants more. Guess what? You have to be born again. Now, wild. It's not like Jesus has this door open to all religion. Oh, you just keep your religion. No, he said, listen. This is something you actually need to take a step towards. Then he says this, which is even more confusing. John 3, 8, the wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you can't tell where it comes from, where it's going. So it is that everyone is born of the Spirit. Like other teaching, Jesus is using this as a physical illustration to, profound, to, to, to talk about a profound truth. Basically, basically, he's saying, listen, this happens not by you keeping more rules, Nicodemus. It's not about how knots are tied, how much burden you care. It's not all kinds of religious rules. It's, it's a supernatural thing. It's a wind of the Spirit that comes and invades your life and changes you. And guess what? When that wind comes in, you're not going to see it. It's nothing that we wear. It's nothing that we, we do that, oh, yeah, you're a Christian, you're not. No. It is something very invisible. But the beautiful thing that God says here is that you see the results of wind. You see things move. You see the grass move when wind comes by. But you don't actually see the wind. We're going we're gonna to cap on that in a little bit. But basically, new life is a spirit thing, is a spirit thing. The results of the wind we can see, but not the wind itself, not the wind itself. So Nicodemus is still scratching his head. So Jesus says, okay, I'm going to give you another Old Testament story. The Ezekiel one was too weird for you, Nicodemus. I'm going to give you another Old Testament story. So Jesus jumps into another one and says this in John 3, 14. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. And, and, you know, he's like shaking his head. Do you get that part? This is a whole story in the book of Numbers where, where the, the people of, of Israel were complaining. And they complained a lot. And can I, I get their complaints. They didn't have food in the wilderness. They had manna. They had manna. And they had to try and bake manna in different ways. Uh, well, I grew up with an old singer called Keith Green. Does anybody remember Keith Green? Yeah, okay, okay, a couple. <laughs> Hold on, you're way too young to know about Keith Green. 
Okay, get your dad. Okay, that makes sense. That makes sense. Oh, my goodness. He had a whole album, So You Want to Go Back to Egypt. And there's this, like, it, it, it's going in a beat like you're riding a camel or something. And in the background, he, you know, he, you just hear things like, you know, manna burgers, manna, <laughs> fried manna, manna waffles. <laughs> so this, this whole thing. So they're complaining, basically, we want to go back to Egypt, which in that story, the context of that story is, it would be like a Christian going, I want to go back and not be a Christian anymore. So that's why it's like God goes, hold on, no. And so God judges them. And guess what? God's allowed to be a judge? Putting that out there. Okay? He judges them, and they get bit by, by snakes. They call fiery serpents. And they're most likely painful. Some people start to die. So Moses prays for them. God says, put a bronze snake up on a pole. Anybody who's bitten can look at the bronze snake and be healed. Just look. That's it. You just have to have enough faith to go and run down to the snake, and then you're good. And you go, really? That's way too simple. No. you gotta, you got to move your butt to get up and do that. Right? That's all you got to do. It's that simple. You go, what was that story all about? And Jesus says, someday I'm going to be lifted up. We've all been bitten by a snake. We all have eternal death. Time is clicking. Every one of us. And all you have to do is go and trust in me and what I've done when I was lifted up. That whole Old Testament story was done. And so... 1,500 years in the future, we could go back and go, oh my goodness, the Bible is so deep. That is so cool. That whole thing happened, so this whole thing could happen. And we see the layers and layers and layers in the Bible, and it's amazing. So it's like you can almost see Jesus smiling, going, that whole Old Testament thing, that was about me. Yeah. And it's, do you get it now? And Nicodemus, no, no. So you almost see Jesus' frustration. We don't know if this is Jesus saying this or, or John's commentary, but this is, this, okay, you're not getting the whole Old Testament thing, right? I'm going to say it plainly. I'm going to say it simply. I'm going to say it that there's no doubt whatsoever, okay? It, Ezekiel thought that was a good one. Numbers, I thought that was good. Snake, okay. This is about as simple as we can get. And it's all distilled down to this verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. <gasps> Isn't that awesome? Isn't that awesome? Isn't that really cool to find out where that verse comes from? As he's trying to get it, you're not getting it, you're not, okay, I'm going to simplify it. This is all the gospel simplified in that one verse. And this is the one that they put up at football games, like when they, yeah, do kick through the standards and all that kind of stuff. It's interesting, even this verse has connections to the Old Testament. You know the phrase, my one and only son? That is the exact phrase that, that, that is used uh, of uh, God asking Abraham to sacrifice his son, your one and only son. Again, the Old Testament just tied into the new. It's amazing. So basically, you're spiritually dead, those dry bones, 
But you simply need to look to that when Jesus got lifted up. This, this, is, this is amazing in its simplicity. But Jesus keeps on going in case you don't, don't get it right. And then he says this in John 3, 17 to 18. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. And you'd think that would be, right? I know some people get the idea of judgment of God. God's showing up on earth. Like everybody's scattered everywhere screaming, no. Okay, some people, you know, get the judgment part, the holiness of God, right? but, But he says, no, no, no. God showed up on earth. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. Jesus came here not to condemn you. And if you're on the way to God, if you're listening to this on somebody's Facebook feed, God didn't come here to condemn you. Isn't that awesome? Awesome. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. For whoever believes in him is not condemned. That's that Romans 8.1 passage that we studied in the summer. There's now no, therefore now, no condemnation in Christ for those who are in Christ Jesus. There's no, you're not going to be condemned. Once you say yes to Jesus, that simple step of faith to say, God, I, I'm yours. I'm yours. God won't condemn you. <laughs> I don't see why people turn their back on that. <laughs> it just boggles my mind. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. But then... We take a breath. Because there's another side to that, isn't there? There's another side to that. But whoever does not believe stands condemned already. Because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. One and only. God came to earth on a rescue mission. We are already guilty, every one of us. Every one of us has been bitten by that snake. Everyone has sinned. Now, I know the world keeps on preaching at us, you're perfect just the way you are, right? We can sing that song. I have a song in my head now. You're perfect just the way you are. And, and part of me goes, yeah. And part of me goes, no. No, I know me way too well, okay? I know we have potential. We have calling. We have giftedness of God. You're beautiful. God has made you beautiful and good and perfect, On one whole level, because you're made in his image, that's true. But guess what? Are we really perfect the way you are right now? If you think you are, you're not in a close enough relationship with somebody else, okay? (laughs) Just putting that out there, all right? Because they will tell you. They will tell you. Man, I got selfishness in me, man. That's still rooting around in there for a long time. Envy. Man, I still go through posts and go, really? They get to do that? Oh, man. Right? Okay, hold on. That's envy. (laughs) Unforgiveness. Can I just say, it's weird, because I've lived long enough to see different sort of ages, right? And this age, for some reason, is the most unforgiving age I've ever seen. It used to be like, oh, you know, just let them do. No, it's now. We hate no way. And then you did. And wow. Unforgiveness, bitterness, slander is telling the truth with the design to hurt. Don't think about the posts you've read this morning. 
telling the truth with a design to hurt. We are not perfect the way we are. We already stand condemned. We already stand condemned. We've already been bitten by the serpent. We're hell-bound. And God, so loving us, decides to rescue us for our good. For our good. God's in the saving business. Some people ask me this. You know, great. So I want to come to Jesus. You know, he's got a gun to my head. Come to me or I'll send you to hell. <laughs> have you ever heard that one? I have. Okay. I love you. <laughs> The deal is, we've already sent ourselves there. We're already going. We are separated from God and everything that's good. And God has given everything in order to rescue us. To rescue us. Just to look at to, to, to Jesus in faith. To make a decision to trust him. And that is what chapter 3 is about. New life with Nicodemus. Chapter 1, Jesus is God. Chapter 2, chapter 2, water into wine. Chapter 3, new life with Nicodemus. Now, as we do at Church on the Rock, we always have some kind of takeaway. This is not just about knowledge. It's about what we do with it, right? Um, and, and I can't think of a more central topic than John 3, 16. And I know I talk about a lot. I know we talk about a lot here, right? Okay. It's like, can we move on to other subjects? And I think we do. But can you think of anything that's worth more than this? Eternity? On a decision to say, yes, I, I, if, I would want my kids to do that. I would want my mom and dad to be there. I would want the people in my, in my work to be there. Anybody I love, I would want to be there. It's about eternal heaven, eternal hell, and it counts. It counts. This should drive us to our knees. And literally at our prayer summit, we're going to get on our knees to pray for those who are on the way. It's worth it to risk friendships over. It is worth it. I, uh, I've been telling this message for a long time. And the best illustration of this that we're already, that we're already uh, condemned is this one I've heard a long time ago. I haven't given this story for a while, so it's a good one. There's this, uh, there's this young woman. And uh, she's getting out uh, of, a, uh, of work and gets in her car, but she notices a big transport truck right behind her with the lights shining into her, you know, right uh, in her rearview mirror. And she's slowly freaked out. So she sort of drives out, and the transport rumbles right behind her. And she's going, hold on, this guy's following me. And so she starts to speed up. It speeds up. And she slows down. She goes through a side street. The transport goes through a side street. She's starting to freak out a lot right now. She doesn't have a cell phone on. She's hitting the highway, and she gets some distance, but the transport just comes up right behind her. And it's just falling her down. Finally, she goes off, pulls off, gets to a gas station, a little 7-Eleven gas station. I remember the story. She said it was a 7-Eleven gas station. And he runs out and screams, the truck is following me. And as she stops, the truck stops like this. You can almost hear, you know, it's like a, it sounds like a horror movie, doesn't it? And the trucker gets out. And the trucker goes and opens the door to the back of her car and takes out a guy that he had seen get into her car. I ran you down to be able to save you from what was happening to you. And you thought it was me being so bad to you, 
but I am here to save you. So, again, for those of us who carry the message of Jesus, for those of you who are on the way, if you're a young person, this is your moment. You can move from death to life right now. Right now. If you've gone to your church your whole life, you can move to being bitten by the snake to be being healed by Jesus. We always talk about it here at Church on the Rock with the ABCs. First of all, you have to admit your sin. You have to say, yeah, okay, I'm, I'm <laughs> far from perfect. I am not perfect the way I am. I've got junk in me. God, I've got junk in me. But I believe you died and rose again. I'm just going to look to you and believe in you. I give you my life. It's yours. All yours. That simple prayer of faith, a simple reaching out to him, will move you from death to life. For those of us who have been Christians for a while, I, there, there's part of this passage just really convicted me. Like, I'm born again, and I've got the wind of the Spirit in me. And then the question came up in the back of my mind, is the grass moving? Are the leaves moving? You know, you, you look outside, is it windy tonight? You know, you're looking for the, for the leaves. Nope, there's not a bit of wind there. <laughs> so Dave... Is there any wind in your life? Not a bit of wind there. It's okay. <laughs> no, it's not. I want those branches to be waving all over. I want to be a windsock. I know that's a little weird. Okay. Backing off. If the Spirit is in me, then I should be becoming a more patient person, shouldn't I? <laughs> I'm speaking to myself, not to you. That would be way too convicting. If, if I had the wind of the Spirit in me, I would be much more forgiving to the people that offend me, to people that don't do things, that do do things, that because I have the wind in the, of the Spirit in me, that the, the grass that moves in my life should be moving. I'd be kinder. I'd be moving to, towards self-control. There would be a lot of things in me. And so I ask myself, if there's no movement, is there any wind in me? And then I pray this prayer. God, move in me to move others to you. God, move in me to move others to you. I'm going to invite our worship team up. I'm going to put up two prayers. Two prayers. First of all, the prayer for those of you who are not yet sure that you are a believer. Let's pray. Let's pray and let's pray along with them. Come on, Church in the Rock. Let's help them out. Let's all pray together. Let's Bow our heads and close our eyes, and let's just pray. Heavenly Father, I know I am not perfect the way I am. I need you. I believe that you died and rose again, Jesus. I believe it. And I trust that to take care of all my sin. I commit my life to you. You're, you have me. I'm all yours. Thank you, Lord, for listening to that prayer. God, thank you. Thank you that people can receive eternal life by the simple looking to you. And Heavenly Father, I pray for the rest of us, Lord, as we worship now and as we plan, you know, for the prayer corner and our, our, our communion time, Lord, do a work in us that what do you want us to work on? 
so other people can see the wind of you in us. So God, move in me to move others to you. God, move in me to move others to you. I ask this in Jesus' powerful name. Amen. Let's worship him.